Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist West Memphis. We're so happy you've chosen to listen, and we pray that you'll be blessed by this message. Good morning, and may the Lord bless you. It's a joy and privilege to be back at First Baptist Church West Memphis. This is my home church, and what a treat it is for me. My heart's been flooded with memories of the mercies that are greater than our sins, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. My wife and I serve with the International Mission Board, and we live in Latin America. We're home for a few days. My wife had to have surgery to correct a breathing issue, and so we're home for a few days while she recuperates and uh, eat my mom's good cooking and uh, able to worship here with you fine folk. There was a book written some years ago. Some of you may be familiar with the title, at least. It was written by a preacher. His name was Robert Fulgham, and the book is entitled, All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. It's a series of short essays uh, where he talks about the very basic things of life he learned when he was just a little boy. And I thought about adapting that book title and say, all I needed to know about life and ministry, I learned at First Baptist West Memphis. Right here with you folks, I learned about faithfulness. I look around the auditorium this morning and see so many of you that I've known since I was a boy. You walked with the Lord then and you're walking with him today. And I can't tell you what an encouragement it is to me to watch your lives. I learned about generosity. The first time I went on a mission trip, for any length of time, this church paid my way. I was a summer missionary in Colombia in South America. And the church paid for my plane tickets to go and spend that summer, and I became a missionary. So your influence was very great. I learned about missions and evangelism. Our church has always been zealous to share the good news. I like now the church's uh, motto of of sorts is love God, love others, and share the gospel. That's mighty good. That's biblical. So all I needed to know about life and ministry, I learned here. And so it's a great privilege to be back with you this morning. Now, we do serve in South America, and I thought I'd give you a glimpse into the country where we're living and some of the ministry that's underway. Let's watch this video. Hi, my name's Josh. I live in the Amazon Basin where we serve with the International Mission Board alongside a missionary team. The goal of our team in the Amazon Basin is to get the gospel to tribes that have absolutely no access to the truth. In doing that, we have to go out to very extreme, isolated places where people live to to take the gospel to them. For example, we're working with a new church plant on on a river that's very close to to the border of the country that we live in. And to get there, we have to fly out on a small plane and sometimes take a trip two to two to three days up river to the destinations that we go to. And when we get to those destinations, a majority of our time is spent doing teaching, discipleship, working with, with new believers who are becoming leaders in the church. 
to help them move towards the future and spreading the gospel across the entire Amazon basin. That's the ultimate goal, is that there would be no one without having heard the truth in the Amazon. So out there in those jungles, there are tribes that have absolutely no access to the outside world, who have never heard the name of Christ. So it's imperative that we go. The workers are few, and we're asking that more would go. But generous giving like yours allows us to continue the work. It allows us to charter private flights that give us safe access into areas that are hard to reach. It allows us to put fuel into the boats that we travel on. It allows us to repair those boats and, and, and to continue with strategy in the areas where we work. It helps us to have more personnel on the field to get the gospel where the gospel is not. So I just wanna say thank you. In that work, we have a couple of other facets that are part of the work that we do. We live in a gateway city, which is sort of a melting pot of many tribes from the Amazon who have come here looking for work, looking for, for medical attention, and all kinds of things. And here, we're able to meet people and build relationships to those tribes that are out on the rivers in the far reaches of the jungle. So here in this city, there is a, a nationally developed mission organization that acts sort of like the International Mission Board with whom we work. But this one works with indigenous missionaries who come from the tribe to help train them and, and get them prepared to go out as missionaries to their own people to bring, to bring the gospel to them. So we're partnered with that missionary organization because it's, it's, it's one of a kind and we want to see it succeed. And one of the major things that we have to do is to help them become more sustainable in what they do so that they're not dependent on outside income so that they can go to other believers around them and seek out the resources that they need to finish the task that's ahead of them. We work some in agriculture. I have a little bit of experience in agriculture in my history and my work, and so do some of, some of our other team members. So we try to leverage that experience and use it to help this missionary organization. That organization several years ago purchased some land, and now on that land, they have a fish farm and they're trying to get to a point to where they make a profit, to where that profit supports their 11 or 12 missionary families who are out there in the jungle at this time. So not only do we wanna thank you for, for your willingness to give, but we just ask that you would continue to pray for the work here. Pray for the missionary families that work with the International Mission Board that are here, the many other missionaries who are doing a great job with other organizations who live right here in this gateway city. And then also, those who are out there in the jungle are indigenous missionaries. And as we travel out there to those places, we ask that you would pray that the work would have fruit, that God would bless the work of our hands, and that we would continue to, to follow his call to take the gospel where the gospel's not. I just want to say thank you so much for your willingness to, to freely give of what the Lord's blessed you with. Thanks so much. Well, that's a scene of the country in which Nell and I are living. Those co-laborers, Joe and Adam and Josh that you saw in the video are your IMB missionaries. And I want to say you're there with us by means of your praying and your giving and your partnering. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Now I want you to take your Bibles, please, and let's open them together to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. 
We're going to begin in verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. I want to appoint you this morning to a blue ribbon panel. And you're going to judge this morning what is history's greatest construction project. There have been some monumental construction projects over the years. And I'm going to put before you two or three nominees and then we will judge what is history's greatest construction project. One nominee would have to be the Great Wall of China. Some years ago, I had the privilege of standing on the Great Wall of China, and it is an impressive feat. Did you know that that Great Wall spans over 13,000 miles? It runs east to west across much of the northern border of China, and it was meant to protect that nation from marauders and and uh, the heathen. So it's, it's a wonder of construction and architectural prowess. But is that history's greatest construction project? Let me give you another nominee. It is the Great Pyramid of Egypt. That uh, massive structure for several millennia was the tallest in the world. It stood over 480 feet in height, it's comprised of over 2.3 million blocks or stones which average in weight about three tons each. How in the world did they build that structure so long ago and with such precision? It is an amazing feat. Let me give you a more modern nominee. The building that you're going to see pictured now stands in Dubai over in the Arab world. It stands at over 27 Hundred feet. Just to give you an idea of how tall this building is, it's three times the height of the Eiffel Tower. If you were to stack up three on one on top of the other, or two Empire State Buildings, it's twice the height of the Empire State Building. Amazing. It's the tallest freestanding human-made structure in the world today. But I want to put forward another nominee for history's greatest construction project, and it is the church, the church of the living God. I would posit that it is history's and eternity's greatest construction project. Would you, in honor of God's word, please stand, and we're going to read our key passage. As we read it, I want you to watch for mention of the church. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. There God's word says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that we are created in your image. You are a builder, and we too build. Help us to recognize that there is no man-made structure or entity that compares to your greatest construction project, that of the church, the church of the living God. We thank you for Jesus, the architect and the cornerstone, the one for whom the church is his bride. We pray that this morning we would all celebrate the greatness of your construction and make sure that we are a component of it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. History and eternity's greatest construction project is not the pyramids of Egypt, it's not the Great Wall of China or any modern building. The greatest construction project is the church. I want to focus this morning on five simple words, monosyllabic. I will build my church. Again, here are the five points of our sermon. I will Build my church. Now let's begin with the first of those words, I. I stands for the person behind history's greatest construction project. I will build my church. Now the question is, who is this I? Who is he? Because behind every great construction project, there is an I. I want you to think just for a moment of the construction projects that we've had here at First Baptist Church across the years. This has been one of the most buildingest churches I've ever known. We have put up some buildings, have we not? I mean, you think about the Abington Building. I think that's the name of the original sanctuary or the, the oldest sanctuary on this lot. Then you have the core building behind it. And then you have, I think, the Spears Building coming this way. You think about the Henson Building. The Family Life Center. I was a teenager when we completed that Family Life Center, or perhaps a, a student at that time, a university or graduate student. I think it's called the McCarley Family Life Center. So there's always some person or persons behind every building, whether it's Brother Henson or, or someone else who gave a significant amount. But the truth is, this church... And her hope is not built upon any human hand. Be it someone as noble as Brother Henson or the Spears or the McCarleys or anyone else. No, the person behind this church is the great I of Matthew 16. It's the, he is the one who said, I will build my church. Now again, I ask you, who is this I? Who is he? You must know. Because it is by knowing him that you gain entry into the church and into heaven itself. Who is he? Well, that was the question of the very days of Christ himself. He said to the disciples gathered on that occasion, he said, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. Or Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. But then Simon Peter spoke up, and no surprise there that Simon was the one who spoke up, is there? 
Simon said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And for once, Peter got it right. And Jesus said, Simon, blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Bingo! You got it right, Simon. I am the Christ. I am the Son of the living God. I am the great I am. I am the one behind history's greatest construction project. Do you know him? Who is Christ to you? Who is Jesus to you? Upon your answer to that question rests your eternity. You must know him. Now, I know you, many of you. I know many of you by name. And many of you know me. And it's wonderful, and we love one another, and we celebrate our friendship. But really, the truth is, it doesn't really matter very much if you know me. And I don't mean to bust your bubble, but it doesn't matter a whole lot if I know who you are. But it matters the world if I know who Jesus is. And if he knows me. And if I'm a part of the church, history's greatest construction project. I'm reminded of a story I heard some years ago about an elderly woman who came to to a church. She was visiting. It was just a small country church. And she came up the front sidewalk toward the front steps, and the the usher was waiting there. And he said, good morning, ma'am. Welcome to our church. Could I usher you in? Could I help you get a seat? She said, yes, that would be very nice. And so she took him by the arm, and he walked her up the steps. And as they were walking up the steps, he said, well, where would you like to sit in the auditorium? She said, could you take me to the front pew? He said, oh, ma'am. He said, you don't want to sit on the front pew. He said, our preacher is boring. She she said, son, do you know who I am? He said, no, ma'am, I don't know who you are. She said, I'm the preacher's mama. He said, well, ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, no, I don't know who you are. He said, good, and off he scampered. (laughs) Do you know who I am? It's rather inconsequential. Do I know who you are? Perhaps so. But what really makes the difference is, do you and I know who he is? Because that is life, and that is life abundant. He is the person behind life's and history's greatest construction project. Now, number two, let's go to the second word. I will build my church. Now, if the I is the person, will is the promise. The promise beneath history's greatest construction. I like what Jesus said. He said, I will He didn't say, I might. He didn't say, I hope to. He didn't say, I wish I could. He said, I will build my church. In other words, you can take this to the bank. It is sure, it is certain. I promise that this will be the case. You know, if you're going to build something grand, there are two things that you need. You need resources, and you need resolve. Lacking either, you won't build what you intend. Now, Jesus has both the resources to build, and he has the resolve 
to do so. That's why he said, I will build my church. Now, not all building projects get completed because sometimes they lack the resources. I want to show you a picture of a building down in South America where we live. It's in a place called Caracas, Caracas, Venezuela. And I don't know how many of you know much about that country, but the country of Venezuela at one time was among the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest country in all of Latin America. And the reason was black gold. They were rich in oil. They were one of the greatest oil-producing nations in all of the world. But many of you know that socialists have come in and they've taken over that country. They've racked the economy. They took possession of private industry. And, and now that country is suffering like few in our hemisphere. But in the 1990s, a man undertook a project to build a great tower. It was called La Torre de David, David's Tower named for one of the constructors. They began to build this massive structure. You see it pictured here. It was to stand about 40 stories high. It actually was going to have six buildings as components of the entire project. And they got it pretty well up. But then the major financier died. And a banking crisis hit, and they ran out of resources. And so for the last quarter of a century or so, and I've seen this building, it stands there as a monument to their inability to finish what they began. Now, what caused them to, to halt the construction? It was a lack of resources. But I'm so glad to tell you today, there is no lack of resource with the Lord Jesus. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I learned as a boy uh, this, this dictum, this axiom, God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's resources. And I'm telling you it's true. God will provide where he guides. And so there is no lack of resource with the Lord. He's going to complete what he begins. Now another reason you may not complete your building project is you may have the resources, but you may lack the resolve to see it through. And I want to tell you a story of when this once occurred. My wife and I, for some years, lived in upstate New York. At that time, we were serving with Mid-America Seminary, and many of you may know that Mid-America had a campus in upstate New York, and we served there. I became familiar with a story that's quite, quite intriguing. It's the story of a man who fell in love with a beautiful young woman. Now, this man happened to be George Bolt, B-O-L-D-T, George Bolt. And he owned some of the great hotels in New York City. And he was fabulously wealthy. Money was no object for him. He had all of the resources he needed to build anything that he desired. And so he set about constructing this fairyland castle. And he was building it as a gift for his young bride-to-be. She was a beautiful young woman. And he set his affection on her, and he began to build this building, and, and the, turrets, uh, the, the towers went up on this castle, and he built a, a boathouse at the very tip of the island where their yacht would land, and, and it was going to be fabulous beyond your imagination. But tragedy befell, and that young bride-to-be passed away suddenly. And he ordered the cessation of all the construction that was underway. No other hammer was ever heard 
No saw ever cut another board. No mason ever laid another brick. And it is said that George Bolt never stepped foot on that island again. Now the state of New York runs it as a museum. What had happened? He didn't finish what he started because he lacked the resolve to do so. I'm so glad to tell you today that what the Lord Jesus begins, he will complete. And he will complete it because he has the resources to do so and he has the resolve to do so. He said in Philippians 1.6, in the words of the Apostle Paul, that the good work that he has begun in us, he will bring to completion. Now let's come to the third word. I will build. Now if I is the person and will is the promise, what is build? Well, build refers to the process. You know, uh, it, it, there's always a process involved when we go about a building project, is there not? I've learned over the years uh, two things that are true. It always takes longer than you think, and it always costs more than you think it will. Just mark that down. There is a process involved. There's an old saying, Rome wasn't built in a day, nor is any construction project built in a day. No, there, there, there are two things that are always involved. Number one, a schedule, and number two, supplies. You've got to have both. What about history's greatest construction project, the church? Does the Lord have a schedule? And is he on time? Well, that's a fair question. Could I tell you, to be very honest, that's been questioned before. In fact, there were those, even in the days of the Bible, that were saying, uh, where is the Lord and where is the fulfillment of his promise? Listen to what the Bible says about his schedule. Listen. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, the Lord has a schedule, and in his schedule was that I would come to repentance and faith as a young boy. And I became a living stone. I became a brick in the wall, as it were, of this great construction project. And many of you have come to faith in Christ. And his schedule included the laying of your stone in this great edifice that is the living church. And there are others yet who are to become a part of history's greatest construction project. And could it be this morning that I am speaking to some of you who have yet to give your life to Christ. You've not yet entered into a living relationship with him by repentance of sin and faith in Christ. He is waiting for you. He would not have you perish. He would have you saved. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to give your life to Christ and become a part of history's greatest construction project. you got to have a schedule, and the Lord has a schedule. I'm reminded of a church in, in Spain. It's in a place called Barcelona, and uh, it's quite an interesting building. We have a picture of it here for you. It's called La Sagrada Familia because it's built in honor of the sacred family, Sagrada Familia. 
And uh, they're honoring the saints in this Catholic cathedral. Do you want to know when this building was begun? It was begun in 1882. And it is not yet finished. There are several spires yet to be built in this. In other words, the construction of this building has been underway for more than 100 years. More than 130 years. And more yet to be done. You say, oh my goodness. Friend, that doesn't compare to the church. The church has been under construction for 2,000 years and more. But the Lord is not slow concerning His promise. He will bring it to completion when the last of those who are to be redeemed are redeemed. Now let me come to the fourth word. The fourth word. I will build my church. How does that word fall upon your ears? I will build my church. Perhaps you think it domineering. Oh, that's mine. As though he would lord it over us. He is Lord. But he doesn't come with that spirit. I, I really believe when he says, my church, he says it with the greatest of affection. It's like when I speak of my wife, Nell. She is my wife. But I don't say it as though I domineer her. I know better than that. No, I say it with affection. She is my wife. She has all of my affection and my loyalty, my love. It belongs to her. and She belongs to me. The church is very much that way. In fact, the Bible says that the church, sometimes it's referred to as a building. Sometimes it's referred to as a body. But I think my, my favorite image of the church is as a bride. Buildings are good and so are bodies, but brides are best. And uh, the church is the bride of Christ. He said, you are mine. Now this is echoed both in the Old Testament and the New. Listen to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 26, 18. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. That's the key word of point four. When he says my, it's a term of possession. You're mine. The New Testament picks up this same theme. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I'm so glad that I belong to the Lord because I am a part of his bride and that, that you belong to him if you've given your life to Christ in saving faith. You know, sometimes we probably are a little careless with our words. I don't think we mean any harm by it, but we're not very precise. Have you ever heard somebody refer to a church and, and they may, let's say they're, they're driving down Missouri Street here in West Memphis and, and they see the buildings of First Baptist and they point out and they say, hmm, there's First Baptist. That's Pastor Josh's church. Or they drive by Bellevue from bygone years and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's Dr. Rogers' church. You ever hear people say things like that? There's a sense in which I, I don't think there's any harm in it or ill intent. But the truth is, this church does not belong to Josh Hall. And Josh knows that full well. Now, I do want to say, Josh, Josh is an awesome pastor. 
He really is. I look up to him. He was a good preacher even when I was a boy. <laughs> now, he's a tremendous pastor. And I want to say that in passing. He is a great pastor. He loves you, and he's very faithful and just admirable in so many ways. But this is not Josh's church. You say, well, that's okay. Uh, we know that. No, this church belongs to the deacons. They're the power behind it all. <laughs> now, I know I'm talking to a lot of the deacons that are here. And I want to salute you and thank you for being so faithful, so exemplary. In so many ways, you, you've, you've been a backbone to the church. But, but could I just say, this church does not belong to the deacons. This isn't the deacons' church. Now, our deacons here know that full well, and they would never presume as though it were. Or some of you may be, may be thinking, well, I know it's not the pastor's church, and this is not the deacon's church. This is, this is the people's church. We are a democratic institution. And whatever we say as the congregation, that's what matters. You, you know I love you, so I'm going to say something to you right now, okay? This church doesn't belong to you either. Now, are you a priest? If you're redeemed, you are. And you have the Spirit indwelling you, and you can listen for His voice, and you can seek to give expression to His leadership. But friend, the congregation doesn't chart the course for the church. Jesus charts the course, and our duty is to hear His voice, to distinguish it, and to give expression to it. I don't even like the phraseology that the church is democratic. It is Christocratic. Just go look it up in your dictionary. Christocratic. It's not monarchical as though one ruled it in, in terms of any human. It's not an ogolarchy as though the deacons or some other body ruled it. it. It is not a democracy that the demos, the people rule it. No, it is a Christocracy. Christ rules the church. And where he does not, Woe to that church and the community it influences. That's a good place for an amen. He possesses us, and aren't we glad he does? Now, I come to the end. And I want to see if you've been listening and learning. Let's together say the five words of our text today. Ready? I will build my church. Now the last word may be anticlimactic for some of you. It's like, oh my goodness, you've gone through all this, history's greatest construction project, and you're telling me it's the church? <sighs> you just hear the balloon deflating. As though the church were a small thing. Friend, the church is no small thing. The church is history's greatest construction project. Why is it so valuable? It is because Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her. You want to know the value of the church? Look to the cross. See the blood shed there. See the power at the empty tomb, and you will know the value of the church to God. 
There is nothing on earth of greater value to him than the blood bought, redeemed, the church. Some years ago, there was an attack in Nairobi, Kenya. It was uh, undertaken by Al-Shabaab, a Muslim extremist group. They went into that mall, guns blazing. There were 61 people killed, that, 67 people killed that day. Over 200 were wounded. Some of you may remember the footage of people fleeing out of that mall, running for their lives. The story is told of one young mother. Her name was Sheena. Sheena was in a coffee shop. When the guns began to, to, to fire, she fell to the floor in an attempt to save her life. She was lying there on the floor, and there was a man on one side of her, and the, the girlfriend with whom she was sharing that coffee was next to her. And she said that as they were lying there in the floor, she heard a cell phone go off. And she thought, oh, no. She said, somebody's got to turn off that cell phone because the gunman will hear it and they may be drawn to the sound of that ringing. She was trying to lie as silently as she could. And she, she realized the cell phone was going off in the pocket of the man lying on the pavement next to her. She reached for him and there was no movement. She put her hand underneath his, his body reaching for the cell phone. She pulled her hand out and it was covered in blood. She realized the man had been shot. And this is grisly, but bear with me. The thought occurred to her, perhaps if I take his blood and apply it to myself, the gunman will think that I'm dead and they'll pass me by. She took that grisly camouflage she applied it to herself, and she lived to see another day, perhaps spared by the blood of another. What is our hope? Our hope is not in any goodness or righteousness of our own. No, we are all sinners, all of us alike. We've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment, the paycheck for the sins that I've committed is death. Not just temporal death, earthly death, but eternal death. Separation from God in hell. And my only hope is that the blood of another cover my sins. That the blood of the innocent Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth be applied to my account. His innocence for my guilt, my guilt now applied to him. That is my only hope. And that is what makes the church the church. Everyone who has come to Christ pleading his mercy and his grace, trusting in his sacrifice on the cross, to them then is imputed his righteousness, their sins are washed away, and they become living stones in the church. It is our hope for life and life eternal. Let me conclude. I've spoken to you this morning about these five words. I will build my church. It matters who is the person behind the construction. 
It matters what is the promise or the foundation of it. It matters the process that is followed. It, it, it all matters. I want to take you to a faraway country, Bangladesh. Some years ago, 3,000 or so workers showed up that morning for work. And they came to the building where their factory was housed. It was a, a garment factory. And I don't know if you've ever looked in the labels of your clothing. Very often it will say, made in Bangladesh. Perhaps you've seen that. And about 3,000 workers showed up that day. And they went into the building. And the building had actually been showing some signs of fissures and cracks. But the owners of the business had ordered the workers to come. And many of them were terribly poor. And they lived day to day by the wages that they earned. And they came and they went up into the upper floors of that building. And about 8.50 that morning, they turned on the generators for the machines that made the fabric and the, the clothing. And the building gave way. Well, here's a picture of that building, six stories high. And it just collapsed as though pancake upon pancake. 1,134 of those workers were killed when that building collapsed. Now, why did that building collapse? It collapsed because it had a poor foundation. They say that it was built on what was once a pond, and the, the ground was marshy. It collapsed because the materials that were used were substandard. It collapsed because the architect and the engineer were not as skilled as they should have been. It, was, it collapsed because the construction was slipshod and haphazard. It matters. Who is the person behind the construction? It matters. What is the foundation? And I'm glad to tell you that the building that Christ is building will never fall. And all who take refuge in Him will be saved. Bank on these words, this promise. I will build my church. It is history's and eternity's greatest construction project. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.